You're listening to Lab Notes, your weekly guide to science and innovation. Hi, I'm Mark Ponos. And I'm Leo Stevens. Welcome to The Brief, where we cover two concepts from science and business. G'day Mark, what's your topic for today? G'day Leo, today I'm going to talk to you about who is the head of a university. So universities are large organizations with thousands of employees and thousands of students and therefore they need a multi-level governance structure. In Australia, the chairman of a university governing body or chairperson, I should say, is called the Chancellor. The Chancellor has ceremonial duties and is involved in the governance of the university, but crucially not in its day-to-day operation. The responsibility of day-to-day leadership and management of a university is carried out by a person called the Vice-Chancellor. And you can think of the vice-chancellor as being similar to that of a chief executive officer in the business world. And just like a CEO reports to a board of directors, a vice-chancellor will report to the governing authority of the university, which is called a council and which is headed by the chancellor. And there you have it. These are the basics of university leadership. So how does the Vice-Chancellor work with with kind of his team and the people below him? Who reports to a VC? Below the VC, you will have a group of people that are called Deputy Vice-Chancellors. And the Deputy Vice-Chancellors are responsible for university-wide portfolios. And you can think of teaching or administrative matters. Generally speaking, the... VC will also have a, either a chief financial officer or a chief operating officer that deals with the business side of the university, even though most universities in Australia are not-for-profit. Yeah, well, I mean, even I guess a not-for-profit business has to manage its operations. Um, about the this kind of structure and responsibilities of the VC, what do you think their main role is what would be the thing that would fill a vc's day well they're, they're the public face of the university so they deal with strategic directions and they have to manage the operations of the university so in my point of view i think they are mostly responding and reacting to matters that involve the university in terms of where it's going and most importantly what's happening in the continuous shifting landscape of education in Australia and possibly in the wider world as well. And what sort of people become vice-chancellors? What what qualifications does one need to apply for this position? In most cases, a vice-chancellor has had academic training and is usually a well-established leader in their field and has also had some uh, business experience. In some cases, there's a very well-known example in Australia for the Australian National University, which has a Nobel Prize winner 
by the name of Brian Schmidt as its vice chancellor. So usually these are very accomplished people. Right. Well, might move on now to the the business topic, which is C-level executives and certainly does have a lot of parallels to the university's executive positions. So there's a few different C-level executives, and I'll explain that term first. C-level just refers to the, the titles. They all begin with C, and the C stands for chief. So there's, as Mark mentioned, the CEO, the chief executive officer, the COO, the chief operating officer, the CFO, the chief financial officer, CTO, the chief technology officer, and CMO, the chief marketing officer. There can also be a few others smattered into different executive teams, but those are the main ones that you'll come across. So the CEO, much like the VC, it's it's the face of the company and the person most people would consider to be its leader. They're a key factor in the high-level mission and vision design for the company and kind of setting the strategic direction, but they often delegate a lot of the operational tasks to other people. A huge part of the CEO's role is being a conduit for information Um, keeping across the parts of the company and being ready to convey that information to stakeholders like the board of directors, to shareholders or the public. A chief operating officer is is almost the CEO's right-hand man. They implement a lot of the systems and administrative processes that fall within that broader mission and vision. Where CEOs are stereotypically quite extroverted, um, the COO is stereotypically more of an introvert and much more focused on the systems and the process rather than the publicity but they are absolutely critical to keeping all of the systems of business working. The chief financial officer, as the name suggests, handles all of the financial aspects of the business. They're responsible for things like banking and investment, preparing annual reports, helping to arrange loans, and conducting fundraising rounds for new shareholders to bring investment into the company. The chief technology officer is probably the role most scientists would find um, similarities in. They're responsible for the research and development, the intellectual property, patents, and new product development. And they'll basically run a lab space uh, with a team of scientists and engineers who are working on these new products and new systems, as you would find in a lab. Finally, the chief marketing officer uh, is responsible for the company's brand, their marketing, and generally their public perception. So they'll be organizing marketing campaigns, uh, advertising spends, and ensuring the company's products are kind of widely known so they're the main C-level executives and they make up the executive team of most companies. Great. Thanks, Leo. So who appoints these people? So the board of directors is responsible for appointing the management. The board will vote on who should be in those positions and the board has the power to fire uh, an executive who is not performing. And how are they paid? Um, well, they, I mean, they are remunerated both in, in cash as a salary and also often with shares or options in the company itself, which is designed to incentivize them to grow the company quickly because they benefit financially from having their shares gain in value. Um, and their remuneration is set again by the board. The board has to vote on remuneration packages for these executive and ensure that they are in line with industry standards and with what the shareholders probably expect. And when we dive into the the structure of the business organization is it like you can expect at a university where a ceo will be supported by a deputy ceo or what what are the what are the levels below ceo and cto and cfos and all those c's so all of the c's i guess you could consider as as a board as a committee um they are all 
roughly parallel to one another in power and should operate by negotiation, by democracy. But you will certainly get some CEOs who are much more direct and dictatorial uh, in charge of the decision-making. Um, but that's, that's more of a, like a style thing than it is necessarily enshrined in a constitution. So this team uh, of C-level executives is collectively responsible for the business direction. In terms of below them, you'll have things like business unit managers or managing directors who are probably responsible for particular portfolios within a company. So if you had a multinational company, you might have you know a North American managing director or a Australian managing director who'd just be responsible for that geography. You could also break the company up into units based on different products. So if you've got something like Unilever, which has you know thousands of products, you might have one group that's responsible for kind of hair care products and another group that's responsible for baby wipes. Um, but you can break up the company both geographically or by the type of service that's being offered. And that's all we have time for. Today, thank you for tuning in to Lab Notes and the Brief, and we'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening.